Good morning, Life Center. How's everybody doing today? Good, 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 good. Great to see everyone here today. If you're a guest with us, thank you for joining us today at Life Center. If you're joining us online, thank you for joining us there. It's great to see everybody here today. Uh, if you are a first-time guest, be sure and swing by and let us chat with you at the end. Um, what a great day. What a great day. So uh, we're going to dive right in. We're going to have a little fun here at the front, but um, then get into some serious stuff. Uh, this is our third week of The Walking Dead, and last week was tough. Um, yeah, last week was tough. Anybody else felt like last week was tough? I think it kind of caught us all right where we live. So week one, we started off just kind of setting the tone and foundation for what The Walking Dead's about, right? And so in Romans 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 6, it said it this way. I like the way it says it. For we know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Love that. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. So that's the premise, right? That's the walking dead. We've killed the old man. If you've come into a relationship with Christ and you're on that journey, that old man is dead. But man, what a zombie. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't like to stay dead. So Paul, Paul in, in writing one of his letters to the Christians in Rome, I, I, like, I think the way he describes it perfectly sets it up for what we're going to talk about. In Romans chapter 7, he said it this way, So I find there's a law at work in me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. How many, can I get an amen, right? Amen. You want to do your best, but it's something is just right there. You know, the little angel on this side and the little devil on this side, right? That little thing. For In 22, verse 22, it says, For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Right here, I'm loving everything that Jesus is, everything he stands for, everything he promises is all right here. <laughs> but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. This kind of underscores the walking dead, right? This is painting that picture so we can get what he's talking about. That sinful man that we put to death, he just keeps wanting to come back up, right? So last week, Pastor Scott sort of dove into this idea of selfishness, and man, it was hard to point the finger at somebody else during that message. It was just kind of like, yeah... Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it, right? So there was two things, though, that stuck out that he said to me, uh, said last week that really stuck out, is it was this. We all have the same basic three resources, time, talent, and treasure, right? Yep. That made sense. But what he said about that was pretty powerful in the fact that how we treat those three resources determines how much of that old man is alive or dead. Right? And then right behind that, he asked the question, am I blessable? Am I blessable? And that got me thinking. Of course, I want to be blessable. I want God to look at me and say, you know, that's the, that I can pour it out right there. How many know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. want to be blessable. So these are things that we have to work on uh, when, we're, when we're talking about this, this old nature in us. And so we're going zombie hunting again today. Hope you came loaded for, for battle because we're going to unpack another one, and that is called self-control. Look at your spouse if you're married and say, you got lots of it, baby. <laughs> now we got to talk about lying. That's the other thing. But no, self-control. So, so we're going to have a little fun with this one. Everybody knows what self-control is supposed to be. At least we think we do. But let's talk about what self-control, what the lack of self-control looks like. So one of the first things that popped in my head about lack of self-control is road rage, right? Because it doesn't affect any of us. None of us ever lose control behind the wheel. So <laughs> I came across this I came across this video. I'm not going to show it because it was too hard to see. You wouldn't be able to see it here well up here. 
But apparently in Tampa, Florida, a couple years ago, there was uh, this lady was on a highway, two-lane high, four-lane highway, so there's two lanes, and raining pretty hard, and this truck, full-size, I think it was a Dodge, right up on her bumper, blowing the horn, flashing lights, you know, get out of the way. And so she has the, I guess, the wherewithal to grab her cell phone, and she starts recording. And so this is going on for a while, and finally the guy jumps over in the right lane to pass her, and he's cursing her, and he's waving at her that odd wave, you know, with some of the fingers folded down and one knot, that wave. He's giving it to her, and I'm telling you what, she's videoing the whole thing. And he goes in, around to her, overcorrects a little bit too much. His back end spins out. He tries to correct. He does a donut in the road, hits a guardrail, runs into the median, stuff flying everywhere, and you see the lady laughing. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> Watch it. Video the whole thing. It goes viral on YouTube. It's great, right? Lack of self-control. This, this next one is a little weird. Like It just ooks me out, but I got uh, some pictures here. You guys have seen the, the show Hoarders, right? Maybe you've seen an episode. <laughs> people are pointing at people out there. Stop that. So, so here's lack of self-control. Look, look this, someone's living in this. Someone's living in this. Like, I, I, wow, wow. I can't, just turn the pictures off. We can't watch that too much longer. Lack of self-control. I mean, how much self-control does it take to throw out a pizza box? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a thing. I, I don't know. I don't know. So lack of self-control, obviously very... Here's another one I came across that just blew my mind. Look at this, look at this nice little lady here. Pop that picture up. She's a small, petite lady. Looks like she might be rather friendly. Well, she's on an airline, Jet, jet 2 airline, flying from London to, uh, I believe it was Spain. Turkey, sorry. So for some unknown reason, this little dainty lady here gets out of her seat, tries to storm the cockpit, slams the stewardess to the ground. She's trying to get in the cockpit. Obviously, now cockpits are locked. Nobody can get in. So she goes from the cockpit to the emergency exit. They're 30,000 feet in the air, people. She's over at the emergency exit trying to open it when the passenger's like, you know what, not on my watch. And so she gets tackled. There's another picture of her laying in. She's little. She's small. She's laying in the aisle. People are on top of her holding her down. So it was so bad that, that the pilots radioed a mayday. And so the Royal Air Force sortied two typhoon fighter jets who broke the sound barrier over London City, which created all kinds of issues, because if you ever heard that happen, it's like thunder, right? Boom. They go and escort this plane back to the ground. This little lady just lost her mind. They billed her $106,000 and banned her for life from ever flying jet too. <laughs> okay, so that's what lack of self-control, <laughs> that's what it looks like. Weird, right? And I just say no to the donut. That seems hard enough, right? <laughs> so what is self-control? It's defined this way. Control or restraint of oneself and their actions and feelings. And it seems to be that, it's interesting, right? It seems to me that the ability for self-control to be prevalent in society is slowly and rapidly, let's change that, rapidly diminishing. Like, it is amazing. Every, you, you're a crowd of people, an event, something's going. As long as everything is perfect, the masses will be handled. But one thing goes sideways. Man, it's like people just lose their minds. Like, no control at all. So we're going to talk about self-control and instead of me telling you what my opinion of it is, <laughs> it's like pot calling the kettle black, right? We all struggle with this. Let's just see what Jesus says about it because we'll start there, right? He's the one that can set the bar on what self-control looks like. So Jesus has a famous, what, what scholars have called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus is teaching here 
to the masses. There's tons of people out there. He's speaking this, this famous message. And you have to understand a little bit of context and understanding that they lived in a very religious, structured world. They had a religious law that they had to follow. And, and for the Jews, following the religious law was, was as, as paramount as us abiding by the laws of our land today. Like, we don't go out and kill people because we know we get life in prison, right? There are things like that. Um, but this, this religious law, they, they had to adhere to this law. And so just like um, with, any, with any law, right, with any law, if you just look at it from the perspective of letter of the law, you can always find loopholes. If you're wily enough, you can get by with things and not break the law, right? So they had done this with the religious law. They had crafted and created ways to sort of do whatever they wanted and still stick to the letter of the law. So that's the context. That's the, that's the space that Jesus is, is talking to in the people's mind when you begin to talk about this message, the Sermon on the Mountain. So I just extracted a couple of things that he said in this message, not read the whole, it's a whole chapter, but just a couple of things. So one thing he says is he says, blessed are the gentle and kind hearted for they will inherit the earth. Okay. So we're going to draw some parallels. You're going to, you're going to stop pretty soon in a couple of these verses, realizing that it was tough for the Jews to listen to it. Then it's just as hard for us to hear it now because society teaches that who survives the strong survives. So there's no inheriting any earth if you're not strong enough to take it, right? And Jesus said, blessed are the gentle, gentle. They're the ones that's taken over. Okay. All right. Let's go into the next one. Verse seven, he says, blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. Okay. That's a give and take. I get that one. Then he says, blessed are the makers and maintainers of peace. They shall be called the children of God. How many of God's children do we have? Just, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> it's not, this is just not the world we live in. Like, you don't get ahead in the world by being a peacemaker. You get ahead in the world by stepping on peacemakers, using them as steps to get to where you're headed. That's what society teaches us. Then he says this. He says in verse 22, he's talking about hatred and murder, and he says that hatred is the same as murder. Now, listen, there's no law that says I can't hate you. I mean, they can't throw me in jail for hating you. They can throw me in jail for killing you, but they can't throw me in jail for hating you. But Jesus is saying, forget about the action. Let's talk about something in here. If you go around hating someone, there's no law that tells me I can't hate you. You're right. You're right. But Jesus is peeling back a curtain saying, hey, let's talk about what's happening in here and not the letter of the law. In verse 28, he does something else that's pretty, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one, it's, it's tough. He equates lusting after a woman to having an affair or being unfaithful to a spouse. Whoa, time out, time out, time out. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> right? Because he's not focusing on the letter of the law. Remember, he said that I came to fulfill the law. He's, he's helping everybody just like us today. We're hearing this, we're thinking, hold on a second. I get the law part, I get following the rules, but he's taking it a step deeper he says in verse 39, if somebody does evil to you, repay it with good. Yeah, let's not spend too much time there because we'll have to empty the house out. <laughs> this one's hard, right? Someone does you wrong and, and, and Jesus is saying, look, look, let's take a different approach here. Instead of paying them back, pay them back, but do it differently. And then he says, instead of hating your enemy, pray for them. 
Pray for your enemy. Love those people that don't like you. Love those people that hate on you. I mean, this, Jesus, is, Jesus is taking what everybody thought was normal. Okay, I do what I'm supposed to do by the law. I haven't broken any laws today. Good. Whew, I can go to bed tonight. I didn't break any laws. I hated a few people. I was mean to a few people. I lusted after a few women, but I didn't break any laws. They can't put me in jail, right? So, so everything's fine. So he flips this on its ear, though, and he, instead of talking about laws and rules and regulations, he rips the cover back and says, let's take a look at what's going on in the heart because that's where this stuff comes from. You can only relegate or regulate actions to a certain degree. But what's happening inside here that feeds those actions? And so Jesus rips back that, that covering and reveals the dead man's heart, right? The zombie that's laying beneath the surface, the surface because in there is where this stuff comes from. So help me, let me help you uh, understand by explaining something about the way we're created. The, the, uh, a human, a person is made up of three parts, really. They're made up of spirit, the soul or the mind, and the body. And so understanding that, I'm going to help you and help me understand how we change this dynamic. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the author writes this in a way that helps us understand how God works in our life. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless of the, uh, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So let me explain what happens here. Here's an example. Just, just track with me. Try to put yourself in, in this sort of situation. Emotions and feelings, they feed our mind or our soul, right? And then those, those thoughts become actions that are then demonstrated for people to see. So it looks something like this. Maybe you go to work one day and you're feeling kind of insecure. You know, you're just not, you're just not on your game. You're just insecure about things. You're, and mo that's an emotion that's kind of bubbling up. You don't necessarily have a reason to feel it. It's just it's a feeling, right? It's emotion. And then a coworker you just inadvertently off the cuff just says, man, you're always forgetting stuff. So now that, that insecure emotion, that feeling just got affirmed. And so now this feeling is becoming an, a, a thought in you. You're starting to believe this emotion, and then you respond something like, well, at least I know what I'm doing around here. You know, some cocky little response is like, you know, because what was feeding that emotion then became an action, and that action was, was distributed, and now you are now responsible for possibly offending or hurting another person by your tongue. But it all started with an emotion. How many of you know that emotions, although they feel real, are not always fat? <laughs> I'm glad there's at least a couple hands that are aware of it. So what happens is the emotion feeds this thought or this belief. And then that ultimately produces an action and potentially damage is done as a result of that action. So, so what the scripture is telling us and what Jesus is trying to help us understand is when we die out to the old carnal nature, the sinful nature of who we are, when we die out and we allow the Holy Spirit to move inside, it starts to change 
that dynamic a little bit. This begins that struggle that I read to you in the beginning where Paul said, I see this law at work in me. There's a struggle because now that I'm a Christ follower and I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, now there's something inside that's fighting against that natural tendency. There's something inside that's fighting against those emotions that want to well up that are not factual at all, but they're stemming from a place of unhealthiness. And those things, if not dealt with, become actions and they become an identifier of who you are. You're identified as an angry person. You're identified as a bitter person. You're identified as an unforget. Those are all started as emotions that have begun to now develop into actions that become identifiers for who you are. But this is where the Holy Spirit begins a work in us to change that dynamic. It changes that dynamic. In fact, self-control is considered one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So in, in Galatians, I'll read that to you, Galatians chapter 5, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and it's self-control. Pretty much this describes all of us very well. This is evidence. What is fruit? If you plant an orange seed and you wait long enough, it becomes an orange tree, and eventually it has fruit. And why do we call an orange tree an orange tree? Is the tree orange? No. It produces orange fruit. Make sense, right? The fruit, ident- this is also used in scripture. You can judge a person by the fruit that they bear. So what happens is that the fruit of the spirit is working in your life. Pretty soon people begin to say and see that person must be a Christ follower. Why? Because they got oranges hanging on their tree. They're an orange tree. I've got fruit of the spirit hanging on the tree. People begin to recognize that person doesn't act like other people. That person, when faced with difficult situations, seems to have peace about them. That person, when they're faced with a smorgasbord of desserts, can say no because they have self-control. How Jesus-like is that? You with me? These are things that become evident of who you are and who's living inside of you. The old man does not have this kind of fruit. The scripture is very clear on the kind of fruit the old man has. Hatred, bitterness, vices, uh, addictions, uh, uh, anger, malice, resentment. All these things that we don't like are who our old nature is and was. Are you with me? Anybody confused? This is pretty straightforward. We're going to keep digging. The power of the Holy Spirit can change all that. It can change all that. I like the way Romans 6, I'm going to read it again, Romans 6 and 6, it says it this way, for we know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That is powerful. Here's the deal. Before we found Christ, we had no option but to fall victim and pray to our out-of-control emotions because we did not have anything to, to subsidize or to help our lack of self-control. Some people have a little bit more naturally than others. But at the end of the day, when you don't know Christ, you have no Christ spirit within you feeding that self-control. So it's just as good as you are, that's as good as it gets. Ugh. <laughs> right? That's hard to handle because some of you may have good self-control, but you may have some other issue that's driving something else. 
Sin ruled us. I was at a museum recently, and it was, it was, there was a section about slavery. And in the 18th century in Virginia, there was a law. There were things called slave codes. I ran across these, and these just impacted me incredibly. Ties in amazing here with, with the idea of no longer slaves of sin. Now, you and I, when we hear the word slaves, we have no emotional response to that. We have no identifying mark. Anyone been a slave here before? No, I didn't think so, right? So no, we have no reference that says that if I didn't do what I was told, I, I faced possible death, right? So none of us identify to the degree. So when I read these, it really opened my understanding. Here's some of the slave laws. Enslavement was permanent. They were slaves for life unless their owner freed them which in Virginia, was a, it was a very difficult task to release a slave to be free. They couldn't just say it. It had to be a legal transaction. Here's another one that was incredibly powerful to me. Enslavement was hereditary, which means if you were the unfortunate child to be born of a slave mother, you were just born a slave. No option. No second alternative. That was your life. The third was this, enslaved people had no legal rights. They couldn't vote. They couldn't enter into contracts. They could not leave the owner's property without permission. They could not even congregate in large groups. So that's just to give you that. That was actually something that happened in our country. People fell into these categories. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what it would be like to not have the ability to make any choices for yourself at all? We can't even wrap our mind around it. But what the scripture is helping us to understand here is... When we're, before we know Christ, we're slaves to sin. We don't get the option to decide. We say, well, hold on, I, I got a free will. You do, but you have no ability to supersede your own strength. You have no ability. If you have a weakness, that's just your weakness. That's as good as it gets for you. There was nothing to offset or help that. But when Jesus came, he changed that. And it didn't matter before you knew him. It didn't matter how hard you tried. You lose your temper, you lose your temper. You lash out with hurtful words, no corrective action. It was just who you were. It's what you did. If you had to turn to addiction to escape the stress of life, that's just what you did. You had nothing to help you on the other side to change that dynamic until Jesus showed up. And when he showed up, he gave us the promise that says, if we die with him, we are no longer slaves to sin. This means regardless of the fact that you were born in sin, therefore you were a slave. When you come to know Christ, those laws no longer apply to you. Watch this. The only way that a slave could be free in the Commonwealth of Virginia without going through some legal action was if the owner put them in his will after he died to be free. Man, that'll preach all day long. It takes death to produce true freedom, and that's what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. That's why we call it an old covenant and a new covenant, because a will was instituted, and you and I aren't born slaves anymore when we find him. We're born naturally in sin, but when we're born again of water and spirit, we're free. Those laws no longer hold power over us. This is incredible, because when he paid the price, it was a permanent price being paid. Our freedom is permanent if we choose to live in it. Now we have options. Suddenly introduced into our mix is a choice. The ability not just to decide the right thing, but the ability to do the right thing because we're empowered by something greater than ourselves. Man, that is absolutely 
mind-blowing. If you're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you, there is a supernatural self-control that kicks in. It's bigger than you are. It's bigger than your past is. It's bigger than any obstacle that you may be facing because it's not you. It's the power of God working in you. Oh, but zombies don't die easy. <laughs> I, I watched a couple scenes of The Walking Dead early on, and in the first in the first season, I think it's like the second or third episode. There's maybe it's the first episode. I don't remember. I just this this image stuck out at me. There was some zombie that basically they tried to kill or whatever, and they literally have no lower half. And there's this there's this scene, this slow scene, you know, with music in the background, and this this zombie is like dragging their their upper torso across the yard just you know then they refuse to die right that's what we're talking about this stuff this this old man just does not quit just doesn't quit so this really this whole following christ thing is really a journey but the journey is learning how to let go of me and let god do what he wants to do it it really is about relearning that my initial responses, my emotions, my, my off-the-cuff reactions, those need to be changed by the Spirit of God. You may have been identified by one of your attributes, and maybe that attribute is not happy, loving, kind, sweet. Maybe it wasn't any of those. But when you find Christ, and we say this all the time around here, everything changes when you find Christ. You're like, well, maybe, you know, I don't know, I don't really see it, I don't really know. Well, if Paul, an incredible apostle, dedicated to following God, wrote the majority of the New Testament, single-handedly spread the gospel through the known areas of Asia at the time, if he can pin the words I read to you earlier about seeing a law at work in him, and in his heart he wants to do the right thing, but evil is always there, and I try to make the right choice, and it's always the wrong choice that seems to be popping up first. If he can pin those words, living the disciplined, dedicated life that he lived, then you and I can all identify with the fact that just because I don't feel Christ-like at the moment does not in any way indicate that he is not living in here. But there is an opportunity for something to change because... You can come to Christ however you are, but he will not leave you there if you give him the space in you to work. He'll give you self-control because he knows you don't have it. He'll give you the ability to love because he knows we can't on our own. He'll give you the ability to be gentle in a moment when you, you just want to be angry because he knows that we're weak in ourselves and we just can't do it alone. Romans chapter 8. Verse 13, Paul also writing here, love this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, so I paraphrase right here. What that means is we're not following something around. It means everything we do, the decisions we make, the actions we take, the things that we do in our life. That's being, we're either led by our own desires or we're led by something else. So as many of us, as, he's writing, as many of you, as many people as are listening to me that have, have found Christ, as many of you that are led by the Spirit of God, you're children of God. That's a statement. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you are a child of God. And then he said, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. We didn't go from one owner to the next. We went from one owner to a life of sonship. Oh, man. 
The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought you, brought about your adoption to sonship. So you go from being a slave, being controlled and dominated, to stepping into a, you're just part of the family now. I, Jesus isn't, he doesn't force his will on us, does he? He doesn't make us do anything. He says, you're one of my kids you now have the option to let me lead you, let me work in you, let me create you to be the most beautiful you you can be, or you can be stubborn and you can resist it and you can continue to fall weakness and fall prey to the weaknesses that you have in your life. You can continue to have no self-control. You can continue to be an angry person and you can say, you know what, I'm a Christian, leave me alone. You can be that if you want to be, but he's giving you an option. He's saying, you aren't slaves to me anymore. I'm making you a son. And if you will let, or a daughter, and if you will let my spirit in you lead you, I'll empower you. You'll be able to be kind. You'll be able to be loving. You'll be able to pray for your enemy. You'll be able to forgive people that have done you wrong. You'll be able to have some self-control when you're trying to lose weight (laughs) or whatever you're doing. Here's the thing. The thing is it takes action on our part. Remember, the emotions start here. They're nothing but things in your head. But when those emotions are, are acknowledged and they're cultivated and they're believed, and pretty soon your actions start being what you're believing, and then pretty soon you're identified by that, we're taking God out of the equation altogether. That's why we say around here a lot, who does Christ say you are? Does he say you're a loser? No, he says you're redeemed. Does he say you're a failure? He says, no, I have something valuable in you. Does he say that there's no way you're going to make it? No, he says you can do all things through Christ. Who's strength. He get, who does he say you are? What are we choosing to believe? Am I choosing to believe I'm always going to be fill in the blank? Or am I choosing to believe that he has given me an opportunity to get out of this mess and have a different life and have my life to have meaning and my life to have purpose and my life to have value and for me to be who God designed for me to be. So in those moments, you've got to, look, you you can't just let this smolder in the back of your mind and you know, that's a great idea. I think I may try it someday. No. It's got to be one of those things that every morning you wake up, God, help me to die out to me a little more today. In fact, if there's a moment when I'm going to lose my self-control, will you please intervene in that moment? Help me to feel your spirit in that moment. I mean, literally, in the moment when I'm about to release words out of my mouth that are going to crush someone, let me physically bite my tongue if I have to. Just stop me from saying it. The Bible says that you, in the book of James, talking about prayer, says you have not because you ask not. And it also says you don't have because you ask for the wrong thing. So instead of just saying, God, give me patience, instead of praying that prayer, pray, God, help me to be an agent of patience. Help me to be a peace pursuer instead of one that's always stirring the pot. Instead of being able not to control my emotions, I'm stressed out, I'm going to go binge eat, or I'm stressed out, I'm going to go whatever my vice is, I'm, going to, I'm stressed out, so the next six hours, it's me and Netflix, baby. <laughs> whatever it is, change the dynamic 
through prayer and through saying, God, this is not who you created me to be. Rise up. I'm telling you, you may not see it instantly, but over the period of your lifetime, you will begin to see a change in how you respond to things. Listen, we're trying to kill a zombie. They just don't die. (laughs) They just don't die. That's why they're called the walking dead. But every day we fight. Every day we fight. When you feel those familiar emotions rising up, at that moment, God, I need you to help me suppress this. This is not who I am. You said I'm greater than this. You said I'm not going to be known for things that are evil, but I'm going to be known for things. Come on. Are you with me? When you sense you're about to lose control, I mean, stick your head in the dirt. I don't know. Just take an action. God, help me in this moment right here. When you're being pulled to escape, because there's too much pressure in your life. Find a different escape. Say, God, you've got to help me right now. I don't want to be drawn down that path again. Prayer team, you guys be ready. Because we're going to, look, here's the deal. When the prayer team comes up here today, it's going to be hard and fast. Look, every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room, I can say this without a doubt, every one of us in this room struggles with self-control in some area of our life. Every one of us in this room. So if you're struggling today, whatever it is, and you need prayer, we'll pray with you. Every one of us are fighting some type of battle. Every one of us are struggling with something in this old man that just keeps raising up. Zombies just keep not dying, just keep coming back. But there is a difference. There is a different life. If you don't know Christ, if you've never been born again, I'm talking to you now because this is very difficult. Because if you've not experienced the rebirth, then you're fighting this all by yourself. You're alone. Look, self-control and your willpower will only take you so far. But when we fall into the arms of Christ, He gives us the ability to go beyond our limitations because He tells us in our weakness, that's when He is actually made strong. So guess what? This is kind of how Jesus works. If you keep telling Him, I got it, I'll do it, He'll let you do it. At some point, you just need to look at him and say, you know what? I don't got it. I just need some help. That's the moment when he engages. Jesus, I thank you for your power. I thank you, God, that every one of us in this room today, God, we're on a journey. And that journey is to allow you to be strong in us so that we can be evidence of your spirit living inside. I pray, God, for every person here today that as they walk through their week that's coming, God, that they would experience you in moments where your spirit intervenes and changes us. We're asking that in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Don't forget, rooted on Monday and rooted on Friday. We'll see you there.